On today's Murder She Wrote podcast, it's the last two episodes of season two, and I got a lot to say about these two episodes, so let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Murder She Wrote podcast where I watch every single episode of the hit 80 slash 90 show Murder She Wrote starring two-time Academy Award nominee and six-time Tony Award winner Miss Angela Lansbury and Golden Globe, Golden Globe Award winner as well. Today I'm going to be talking about season two, episodes 21 and 22, The Perfect Foil and If the Frame Fits. As always, I spoil everything there is to spoil about the murderer, the suspects, everything in between if you've not recently seen this episode. If you own the DVDs like I do, get out your season two disc set, enter disc six into your DVD player. This is the last two episodes on that disc. If you don't own the DVDs, it's fine. Um, this episode might have recently aired on Hallmark Channel, but I'm not sure. Um, if you recently seen it then, good. Um, if you have not seen it recently, seen any of them recently, you can... All 12 seasons are currently streaming on NBC's Peacock app, as well as on the Roku channel. Also on the Roku channel. The four TV movies that preceded Murder, She Wrote when it ended on in 1996 are also available to stream. Seasons 1 through 5 are available on Freebie, formerly IMDb TV app. This is my second time recording this because my internet is acting up today, so hopefully we'll get through this one. Alright, it's officially been a year since I have been doing the podcast here on the Anchor app. I started it on July 29th, 2021, so uh, yesterday, Friday, marked a year. Yay! I love it. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to me. And believe you me, it's true. If you set your mind to something, you can do it. I promise you. I'm living proof. All right. So I have a lot to say about the first episode and the second episode. And a lot of people did not like the season finale if the frame fits. I did a, uh, I asked a question on one of my Facebook groups asking everybody what they thought of this episode and they, of that episode, and they delivered. Boy, oh boy, did they deliver. I love Murder, She Wrote fans. So good. So awesome fans. Love them. All right, so let's dive in to... Season 2, Episode 21, The Perfect Foil, air date April 13, 1986. The description on IMDb reads, In New Orleans at Mardi Gras, a distant cousin of Jessica is falsely accused of murder. Oh boy. So, I have to recap this first before I can like explain to you my frustration with it. Because it was a frustrating episode. Alright, so we start off this episode with a poker game. Um, we're not introduced to any of the key players except for Johnny Blaze, which is played by um, George D. Sin Sindro or something like that. Um, and I think he was in another episode of Murder, She Wrote. 
Um, I think he was in... Aha! Yes, I remember now. He was in Death Cast a Spell. Yep, I think so. I'll have to check that, so don't quote me. Okay, so um, eventually what we find out with this is Johnny Blaze apparently cheats at poker. Go figure. So we then cut to Jessica in Cabot Cove. Her cousin, or Frank's aunt, Mildred calls and says that her cousin, Cal, she has not been able to reach him for three months. And he lives in New Orleans. And she wants Jessica to go check on him. Jessica has never met Cal in her life. And he's not really her cousin, only by marriage. Okay. So, um, Jessica goes. And it just so happens to be the last night of Mardi Gras. So her hotel is book solid. She thinks that she can just stay with Cal, even though she's never met him. In fact, she ends up going to what she presumes is Cal's house and has no idea who she's looking for. She doesn't even know what he looks like. I would not do this in real life. You can also tell that this was filmed on the Universal Backlot because I've seen the buildings um, in the tour videos that I've seen. Um, and I also watched American Horror Story Coven and they shot on location there. And I know the difference between what that looks like and this looks like. And I know it's not New Orleans. I've never been to New Orleans. I would like to go. I would like to go to Mardi Gras at least once in my life. But who knows if that will happen. So anyway... Um, we get introduced to uh, Congressman Garner and his wife, Rosaline, or girlfriend Rosaline. I'm not sure if they're husband and wife, although they have the last name, the same last name, so I'm assuming. And she is played by Barbara Babcock, who made her first guest appearance in season one, Tough Guys Don't Die with Harry McGraw. Um, in that episode, she played a magazine owner who has political ambitions to run for congressman or something to that effect. In this episode, she plays a woman whose husband has political ambitions and wants to run, and she's doing everything in her power to help him run. Isn't it interesting how they flipped the script there? She will also make several more appearances on the show, I think, and she will also star alongside Jerry Orsbeck in The Law and Harry McGraw, the spinoff that lasted only one season in 1987. When, that, when I figure out exactly when I'm supposed to be watching that, I will do a special episode here on the podcast with the pilot episode, at least just the pilot, to see if it's any good because I've never seen it. And I've always wanted to. They never syndicated it on TV, but I found it on YouTube. Um, okay, so they, he was, uh, he was one of the guys, Congressman Garner was one of the guys at the beginning of the episode who was gambling and apparently he owes, uh, Johnny Blaze a bunch of IOUs. She wants to get them because apparently they're important for his career. Although to honestly tell you, this plot goes virtually nowhere. 
Not one single solitary thing is above this on why he needs the IOUs, why they're important, why they're being all mysterious about them. It makes no sense. Meanwhile, um, we see Johnny again with his girlfriend, Kitty, and he tries to grab her face real hard and says um, that he thinks that she's seeing someone else. She says no. Then his bodyguard, Gilbert Gaston, yes, Gaston, foreshadowing, isn't it? Comes in and he wants him to find out who Kitty is seeing. And he says, okay, sure, Johnny, I will. Meanwhile, Jessica's walking around the party trying to find Cal. Um, initially, the people she encounters doesn't know him or doesn't know where he is. One person says, I saw him an hour ago. Now I don't know where he is. Um, she runs into Mrs. Miss, Mrs. Gardner and she says, I don't know anyone here. And she walks away. Um, we also see a guy in a red costume walking around on the streets with a gun. This will later be Lieutenant Edmund Cavett. But he didn't kill Johnny. Oh, well. So, eventually someone points out that Calhoun Fletcher is dressed up like uh, Sergio... Sergio D whatever, a literary character, and uh, she sees him come out of a room, and she goes up to him and she says, it's me, Jessica Fletcher, your cousin from Maine, and he just walks away from her. Um, he goes up to the office door, and he says, I'm gonna kill you, Blaze. Well, he says it like this, I'm gonna k k kill you, Blaze, because he has a lisp. And uh, he goes in there and a sword fight ensues. And then it becomes quiet. And Jessica says, something's wrong. And then uh, nobody, the door is locked. They can't, they can't get it. They can't get it out or can't get the door open. And then suddenly Mr. Gaston comes and he rams the door down. And Mr. Blaze is dead. Um, apparently he was going to dress up like a musketeer and had a sword and he was able to write Cal's name in blood. Uh, Mr. Gaston tells Jessica to go find her cousin and to get him a lawyer because he's in a serious heap of trouble. She finds him in an apartment not that far from the house. She scares the crap out of him when she wakes him up and he has no idea who she is. She says, Frank's wife, Jessica Fletcher... Oh, Aunt Mildred is always talking about you. You're the Yankee, right? Yep, I would so want to be greeted like that. She tells him about Johnny Blaze's murder. He claims to have never left the apartment and that he has no idea what's going on at his house. His parents left him the house. It was too big. He couldn't keep it up and he decided to lease it out. And he had no idea what Johnny was doing. But later, it's revealed that he did. He gambled frequently there and owed Johnny abundance of money. It also is revealed that Mr. Lieutenant Cavett, who tries to romance Jessica, but she's having none of it. She just wants to focus on the murder and that Cal didn't do it. 
and she also points out that he was there. He basically explains that he had a motive. Um, apparently, off-screen, his son came home from the war, and he went and had some fun at Johnny's gambling thing. And his dead body was found outside in the alley of the house. But there was never proof that Johnny himself did it. Meanwhile, we get introduced to sleazy lawyer Mitch Payne, who decides to represent Mr. Fletcher. And he's going to plead self-defense. He's also helping the gardeners with their political ambitions and says that they need to get the IOUs. But no emphasis is given as to why. I mean, can you not be a congressman and be a gambler too? Like, I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to save us some time because I really want to talk about the season finale. Um, the killer turns out to be Mr. Gaston because Mr. Gaston and Kitty were seeing each other secretly behind Johnny's back. And if he found out, Johnny would have killed them. So he killed him first before Johnny could kill him and Kitty. And how he did it was he drugged uh, Calhoun, took him back to his apartment, stole his costume, faked the sword fight, although I don't know who the hell he had a sword fight with because according to Jessica, when Mrs. Gardner went into the study, he wasn't in there because his body was behind the couch. And then he pretended to have a sword fight, I guess with the wall, and then staged it to make it look as if it just happened. And Johnny tried to write G-A in blood before he died to tell people that it was him, his bodyguard. Um, and then... Nothing happens with the gardeners. Like, again, I don't understand that whole subplot. And not to mention, nothing happens with the lawyer. And then, since the illegal gambling thing is done, the detective does not arrest Mr. Fletcher, but then he decides to lease it to a woman who is going to run an escort service. Perhaps, you know... The woman from Murder by Appointment Only. <laughs> so that's the end of the episode. Um, and honestly, what I can say about this one is she doesn't know this guy. She's never met him. She goes all the way to New Orleans and someone gets murdered and she has to help him. And, and she goes, why does everybody keep saying that he's my cousin? He's Frank's cousin. But there's never a scene where she explains who Frank is. Not to mention that's how she figures out who the killer is because of the fact that Mr. Gaston tells her to get her cousin to go find her cousin when she had told no one about her cousin other than the person dressed up like the character. So, yeah. Alright. We'll go over the guest stars after I talk about the next one. Season 2, episode 22, If the Frame Fits, air date May 18th, 1986. The description on IMDb reads, Jessica is spending her holidays with an old friend 
Lloyd Marcus. His daughter is found murdered in her house and her husband Donald becomes the prime suspect. That sounds simple enough, right? You would think. But no, this episode is really freaking crazy. Alright. Um, I don't know exactly where we're supposed to be. Um, we're in some gated community, which I don't know the name of. So I have I have no idea even what the name of it is. I can't remember. But I did a discussion on my Facebook group, um, one of my Facebook groups, Murder, She Wrote Fans, wondering what people thought of this episode and they so delivered. But I will um, read their comments after I finish recapping the episode. So this episode starts um, with an exterior of a house that looks familiar to me, but I can't place it. Perhaps they used it before in something else, but I can't quite remember. Um, Jessica is coming home from a party with uh, Lord, Lloyd Marcus, played by Norman Lloyd. So they just used his first name. I wonder if that was intentional. Don't know. Um, and I also noticed that Gordon Jump who plays Mr. Tilly, guest starred on The Golden Girls, is the guy who won't remove the tree from um, the, the girl's backyard. And Sophia puts a Sicilian curse on, on him. And it's hilarious. I absolutely love it. Um, so anyway, um, they've come back from a party and Lloyd wants Jessica to look at this manuscript for a book his friend wrote, actually, he wrote. And they almost interrupt the art thief. Jessica goes in to get her copy of the manuscript so they can read it together. And then when they're talking before they start reading, they hear a crash. And Lloyd's painting is gone. Um... I don't know what it is, but Lloyd comes across as uncaring, unfeeling, and very mean at times during this episode. And I'll get to why. Like, initially, he says that his daughters are ungrateful. Apparently, one of them, Julia, lives next door. And Sabrina is hopelessly still in love with her sister's husband. And we'll find out why. A little bit later. So Lloyd doesn't seem to be the least bit upset that his painting's been taken. His butler, uh, Forbes, comes in. It was his day off and he was visiting one of the other maids from somebody else's house. And he says that he's sorry. Jessica notices that there's a piece of black tape on the door so that the thief can easily get in and out. And apparently this has been going on for quite some time and no one quite knows who the thief is or why it's happening. 
but no harm has been done. The paintings are insured. We're dealing with rich people here, people. And rich people are annoying sometimes. So, um, the next day they go to the country club. We get introduced to the Tillies. Frank and Mildred. Yes, there's yet another person named Mildred in this episode. Must be a popular name. They are very gossipy and very rich. Um, Mildred says that she wants to have a party with Jessica. And then Jessica gets introduced to, and I'm not even joking when I say this, Binky Harborn, Hallborn, Binky, yes, Binky. I'm not even joking. Um, he's played by John D. Landis. Um, and I recognized him right away as the guy who played the cook in the pilot episode of the Golden Girls that got, you know, written off the show because they wanted to focus on the girls. And I don't even understand what they were going to do with this character. Um, he was also on Days of Our Lives as a very unorthodox character. Um, and he's very funny, but this, this character just is not for him. He's apparently a lonely bachelor, a rich bachelor, playing golf, and he wants to have a party with Jessica. The Tillies basically say that they can't, so it's just going to be Lloyd, Jessica, and him. So, initially, um, Lloyd's daughter, Julia, shows up. She's a horrible snob, very mean. She says that the Tillies are nothing but ridiculous and tacky and they always wear the most tackiest clothes. And Lloyd basically says to his daughter, you are a snob. You are absolutely a snob. And she doesn't seem to respond to this. Um, they sit down to have dinner and she orders a martini which he says is so wrong for her to do during the day. And then we get introduced to her husband, Donald Gallagher, and her sister, Sabrina Marcus. Um, so later that night, they have a party at Binky's. Oh my Lord, I hate saying that name. I mean, could you imagine naming your son Binky? Hey, Binky needs his Binky. <laughs> oh my God. I don't understand. Also at the country club, we get introduced to the secretary, Ellen Davis. Um, more on her later. So at the party, um, they've had dinner and Binky suggests that Lloyd... Um, read the manuscript to them and Lloyd says that he left it over at his house and it won't be long before it won't take him that long to go get it because apparently this is a close tight-knit community and people don't live that far from each other so he agrees to go get it Binky and Jessica basically close to each other that they know that Lloyd wrote it himself 
And that it's so cute that he's trying to, like, pretend that he didn't. So, later on, we cut to Jessica and Lloyd driving. And Jessica's like, Lloyd, you should tell your friend that it's too long and he uses too many words. But I do adore the story. And Lloyd seems really upset about this but says he'll pass the notes along to his friend, who apparently lives in Tibet. As they're passing, they notice that Julia's door is wide open, so Lloyd automatically notices that something is wrong. They go in and they find that Julia has been killed in what looks like by the art thief. Lloyd immediately starts pointing fingers at his son-in-law and saying that he knows it was Donald. Lieutenant uh, Police Chief Cooper shows up. Um, he apparently used to live in New York, but is now in this tight-knit community. And his wife really wants him to be a plumber. And he comes for... Initially, we see him the night before with the art getting stolen. And now he's back with that, which that wasn't a significant scene, so I didn't mention it, sorry. Anyway, Jessica notices right away that things are not adding up. And eventually when she goes back to look at the crime scene, she discovers that the painting on the wall is, in fact, the painting from Lloyd's house. Jessica then puts the pieces together, and this is where the episode begins to fall apart. Lloyd discovered his daughter's body when he went home to get the manuscript and decided to re-examine or re-mess up the evidence to basically frame Donald, his son-in-law, because he believed that he was the killer. When Donald comes home, he claims that he was at some sort of restaurant. And it turns out that he was with Ellen Davis. Now, according to Miss Tilly, whom Jessica talks to, um, Sabrina dated Donald first. But then when Donald was introduced to Julia, he decided to marry her. But according to Lloyd, the reason why he married Julia was because Julia had more money. But then they revealed that Julia had Donald signed a prenuptial agreement so he couldn't get any of the money. But he took out a $100 million insurance policy on her. So Lloyd basically says that when he came in, the room was trashed, the painting was off the wall, he took the evidence and threw it away and they can't recover it because all the trash is incinerated. So there's no way to recover it. And she was initially strangled with wire from the back of the frame of the painting. And so they're thinking it's the art thief and it's not the husband. Well, the art thief, long story short, turns out to be Binky. And the initial reason for this is so stupid. He says, 
My parents had a great deal of money before they died. They spent it lavishly. They never took the time to teach me how to form an honest living. So I had to, I had to steal the art pieces to continue with the lifestyle in which I am accustomed. And there was no harm done. All the paintings were insured. And then the police chief Cooper says, except that Julia interrupted you and you killed her. And he says, oh, heavens, no, I would never murder anyone. And he says, we found your equipment. We even found the pizza cutter you used to cut all, all the paintings out of their frames. He says, a pizza cutter? My goodness, sir, I wouldn't use that. It would ruin the painting. And you know what, detective? I don't think I've ever had a pizza in my life. Rich people. Are you kidding me? You haven't had pizza? Are you joking? So, Jessica then begins to put two and two together and the killer turns out to be none other than the husband. Guys, I can honestly say I am so freaking confused by this. I cannot explain to you how she arrived at this. But apparently he killed his wife because he wanted to be with Ellen Davis, who was as a secretary that keeps track of people's payments for the country club. And apparently she's fallen in love with him. Sabrina would have been the obvious killer because she loves Donald. And if she killed her sister, she could be with him. But he wants to be with Ellen Davis. I don't know how Jessica arrived at this conclusion other than that the clock was busted and she said that he busted it so that the time of death would not be able to be determined. But the coroner could have figured it out. Not to mention, okay, not to mention this episode infuriated me. And I, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to like label this as explicit because I'm about to say it. This was bullshit. Because alright. We're supposed to believe Lloyd goes home to get his manuscript, notice, notices that something is wrong at his daughter's house, initially goes in, finds her dead, literally rearranges the freaking evidence to make it look like his son-in-law is in fact the killer, goes into extensive detail, takes the damn evidence, throws it away, replaces the, the thing that like strangled her with a, a drapery cord and literally takes a button off of his jacket and pushes it into her hand her stiff hand at this point and then goes back to to the party at Binky's house uh Binky and doesn't say a freaking word I mean that is your daughter dude why the hell would you do that and then what is the husband's motivation I'm guessing we're supposed to believe the $100 million life insurance policy, but I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. I didn't like it. I seriously didn't like it. 
And I asked people on Facebook, in my Facebook group, but they didn't, and they delivered. Let me tell you what their comments are. First, I said this. Um, I said, I was wondering, I just watched the season two finale, if the frame fits. Does anyone find that episode to be confusing? Like, the father messes up the evidence to frame his son-in-law, but actually the son-in-law actually did kill his daughter. Like, it's really confusing. What did you all think of this episode? I'm curious because I'm about to cover it on my podcast. Um, Rita and Robert Willman said, We recently watched it, and both my husband and I were confused by it. At the end, we looked at each other and simultaneously said, Huh? Right there with you. Amy said, One of the worst episodes, in my opinion. I skip over it. Andrea Ward said, Number one, I enjoy your podcast. Thank you. That means the world to me. Number two, yes. That one is weird. There is also the thief, yes, which has nothing to do with the mystery, if I remember right. It is unnecessarily confusing. I get that they are trying to give us some red herrings, but but those don't work. Joanne said, You're not alone. It confused me as well. Why not leave things as they were and discover who really killed his daughter? He just happened to frame the right person, being so obsessed by his hatred for the son-in-law. Did he not care who really did it? That didn't make human nature sense. Had it not been his son-in-law, he never know who really he would never know who really killed her, and the killer would be walking free. Exactly. Thank you, Joanne. And then Maria said, similar plot in the movie The Last of Shiva. Killer leaves scene the way he wants. Someone else thinks she did it, and rearranges it. He has to switch it back. Not a favorite episode. Victim was not very sympathetic. Agree, Maria. Thank you all so much for commenting. And I'm glad, uh, Andrea, hopefully I'm saying your name right, um, that you enjoyed the podcast. It means the world to me that you enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening. But yes, I mean, guys, this episode was the most frustrating episode I've seen thus far. And I don't remember watching this during my initial binge watch when I first got the complete series. I completely, like, I guess, blocked it out of my memory. Um, so, alright, so now we'll just, we'll go over the guest stars um, as we do. Let me go back to the perfect foil. We'll go over the guest stars there. As we do, let's see how many more episodes Barbara Babcock is going to be in. She's such a phenomenal actress. Once again, to refresh your memory, she is known for Far and Away, 1992, Space Cowboys 2000, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, and Hill Street Blues. Her last known credit is Judging Amy. Alright. She will appear 
in three more episodes of Murder, She Wrote, 1990, 92, and 93. And she was also on The Golden Girls and The Law and Harry McGraw as Ellen, Ellie, Magnus, Magnus. So, yeah. When we get to her last episode and that one, we will figure it out. Because apparently there's supposed to be an episode that that basically uh, ties that together to when you're supposed to watch Harry, The Law and Harry McGraw. All right. Peter, Peter Boneser played Calhoun Fletcher, who I'm guessing we never see again since Jessica never met him before and we'll never meet him again. All right. He's still alive. He will have a birthday on August 6th, so happy birthday in advance, sir. He's known for the Bob Newhart Show, Murphy Brown, Police Academy 6, and Man on the Moon. Uh, apparently he was a director on both of those, all three of those. Um, so let me see if I can get to his acting thing. Apparently he's done a lot of directing on a lot of shows. Good for him. Alright. His last known credit as an actor was in 2012 Captain Movie Shorts. Melissa and Joey... Three Sisters, Ah, Real Monsters, Home Improvement, Nine to Five. Oh, that was the sitcom. And yep, I was right. This is his only episode of Murder, She Wrote. He also was on that show Dinosaurs, Bob Newhart Show, so he directed it and also acted in it. Interesting. McMullen and Wife, Catch-22, the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. And his first credit was The Adams Family. Alright. Adams Family TV show. Um, Lieutenant Edward Cavett was played by someone whose name I cannot pronounce. Uh, C-E-S-A-R-E. Danavon? Yeah, sure. We'll go with that. Sorry, dude. Um, he died in 1992 at the age of 66. He's known for Mean Streets, 1973, Cleopatra, 1964, National Lampoons, Animal House, 1978, and Viva Las Vegas, 1964, with Elvis Presley and Anne Margaret. His last known credit is in the heat of the night. He also guest starred on Mission Impossible. He was on Ryan's Hope. This is his only episode of Murder, She Wrote. He was also on Magnum P.I., Falcon Press, Too Close for Comfort, Airwolf, Half Nelson, Hotel, uh, The Fall Guy, Fantasy Island, Love Boat, Heart to Heart, Trapper John M.D., The Adventures of Sheriff Lobo, Barnaby Jones, Charlie's Angels, Harley Boys, Nancy Drew Mission, uh, Nancy Drew Mysteries, Operation Petticoat, Stanford and Son, Police Story, McCloud, McMullen and Wife, The New Dick Van Dyke Show, Night Gallery, Lassie, Maud, The Doris Day Show, That Girl, uh, Green Hornet, Man from Uncle, Girl from Uncle, um, The Lucy Show, Gidget Goes to Rome, 
The Rifleman, uh, Ventures in Paradise. Good for him. Too bad that Jessica was not interested in dating. She just wanted to solve the murder and go home. Um, this, uh, George DiCicci, you know who I'm trying to say, played Johnny Blaze. He died in 2010 at the age of 70. He is known for Back to the Future. Yes, as I remember, he played, uh, Leah Thompson's father in Back to the Future. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, 1997, or, I'm sorry, 1977, sorry. He-Man and She-Ra cartoon, and About Last Night, 1986. So it probably came out around that time. Um, he did some voiceover work for Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Love that game. Uh, let's see, is this his last episode of, wow, um, no, and I was right, no, I was wrong, where he was in, we're off to kill the wizard, are they sure, okay, but he will appear in other episodes of Murder, She Wrote, all the way up to 1994, so okay, good to know, all right, I mean, I knew he looked familiar. Uh, Robert Froster played our murderer, Gaston, Mr. Gaston, Gilbert Gaston. Foreshadowing. Uh, he died in 2019 at the age of 78. He is known for Jackie Brown, 1997, The Descendants, 2011, Orpheus Has Fallen, 2013, and Mulholland Drive, not 2001. His last known credit is 13 Graves, but it doesn't say when. Um, he'll be in Grave Intentions, which was the last thing he filmed. It came out in last year. He was on Last Man Standing, Twin Peaks, the new one. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon in 2014. Um, CSI New York, Heroes, Arthur Petrelli. Oh, yeah, okay. The Simpsons, Numbers, Justice League Unlimited, The Grid, um, Supernova, that was good. Godzilla, the cartoon series. The remake of Psycho, terrible. The remake of Rare Window, probably terrible. Walker, Texas Ranger. Oh, he'll appear in another episode of Murder, She Wrote in 1995. So we'll go over more later. But he had a long career. Good for him. The Sleazy Lawyer was played by David Henson. He also died in 2019 at the age of 92. He is known for Live and Let Die, 1973, License to Kill, 1989, The Enemy Below, 1957, and The Fly, 1952. His last known 
<laughs> Credit is Confessions of a Teenage Jesus Jerk. Okay. He was in Superman and the Secret Planet. Uh, the Young and the Restless is Arthur Hendricks. Another World in 1991 to 95. And he will appear in two other episodes of Murder, She Wrote in 1989, as well as the spinoff, The Law and Harry McGraw. All right, we'll go over more of his credentials then. Okay. Lisa L-A-N-G L-O-I-S Start as Kitty. Sorry, I'm just going to spell what I can't pronounce. She's still alive. She is known for Class of 1984, 1982. Happy Birthday to Me, 1981. Love that movie. The Slugger's Wife, 1985. And Valette, 1978. Her last known thing that she's in pre-production for is Silver Fox... And the King of the Locusts. Lemonade Sand Romance, A Chance for Christmas. Okay, Heartland. Uh, Beyond Belief, Factor Fiction. Father Downing Mysteries. This is the only episode of Mercerip. And a bunch of movies, including The Man Who Wasn't There by Attica Christie. Love that one. Um, Penny Shingleton. Um, like they said, this is her last credit, and all she does is um, play her voice Mrs. Jetson on The Jetsons. Um, she died in 2003 at the age of 95. She is known for After the Thin Man, 1936, Blondie in Society, 1941, Blondie Plays Cupid, 1940, and Go West Young Lady, 1941. Her last known credit is Jetsons the Movie. And nothing but the Jetsons. This is her only episode of Murder, She Wrote. So that is amazing. Believe you me, Penny. Your legacy lives on because I love watching the Jetsons. Thank you so much for doing that. The congressman who looked really familiar to me was played by Granville Van Dutson. What a weird name, dude. I'm not going to lie. Um, he is still alive. He is known for Soap, 1980, The West Rain, 2003, Space Above and Beyond, and Highway to Heaven, 1987. Um, he's in a, his last one is Smokescreen in 2012. He did some voiceover work for, Emma, for a video game called Emily Enemy Territory. He was in Star Trek Enterprise, The West Wing, Gilmore Girls. Maybe that's it, but I don't think so. Young and the Restless, Judging Amy, Diagnosis Murder, Port Charles, maybe. 
Sliders, Walker, Texas Ranger, Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, Ah, Real Monsters, The Real Adventures of Johnny Quest, Lois and Clark, The Adventures of Superman, New Adventures of Superman, um, Melrose Place, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, Silk Stockings, Doogie Hauser, MD, The People Next Door, Hotel Family Ties, Mr. Belvedere, Moonlighting, this is only episode of Mary Shiro Hill Street Blues, Magnum P.I., uh, Three's Company, possibly, Soap, the Shocker Conning Show. Shocker Conning. I don't know how to say her name. I love her though. Barnaby Jones. Kojak. Dynasty. TV movie. Uh, okay. Probably Gilmore Girls, I'm guessing. And. That's it. All the guest stars for that episode that I'm gonna do. Okay, episode for the, the really confusing if the frame fits, we had Deborah Otter as Eileen Davis, and I think I know what she's known for, because her name sounds familiar, or no, I'm not, I'm wrong. Uh, she was on Days of Our Lives as the original Kate Roberts. Um, she is still alive. Um, she's also known for The Riff, 1990, Dynasty, and The Young and the Restless. Her last known credit was as Kate Roberts in 1995. She was on Melrose Place, Lucy Cabot. I don't remember. Uh, Santa Barbara. I thought she was on Quantum Leap. Or maybe I'm confusing her with someone else. Young and the Restless, Jill Foster. This is the only episode of Murder, She Wrote, Love Boat. Dynasty, Tracy Kendall. And Paris. Okay, so she wasn't on Quantum Leap. My bad, sorry. Confusing her with someone else. Um, our murderer, although I still don't know why, Donald Granger, was played by Christopher Allport. He looked familiar to me. He died in 2008 at the age of 60. Aha, uh -huh, I knew it. Um, he is known for To Live and Die in L.A., 1995, and Jack Frost, 1997, Queen, 1993, and The Young and the Restless. I, I recognized him and being in that movie Jack Frost because it was just so stupid but so hilarious. Um, his last known credit is Garden Party in 2008. He got started in Brothers and Sisters, Mad Men Without a Trace, um, Commander-in-Chief, NCIS, 7th Heaven, CSI Miami, ER, Felicity, Judging Amy, NYPD Blue, The Invisible Man, was in the sequel to Jack Frost and Jack Frost, Young and the Restless, Gene Desmond, Jag, Chicago Hope, Party of Five, Love Party of Five, Walker, Texas Ranger, Silk Stockings, Picket Fences, and he will appear in two other episodes of Murder, She Wrote. So we'll go over more of his credentials then. Good for him! Although I really still don't understand how he was the murderer. Binky was played by John D. Litters. He is still alive. Why aren't you acting, sir? You're so funny. 
He is known for Crank, High Voltage, 2009, Rain Over Me, 2007, Prodigy, 2008, and Multiplicity, 1996. Um, he is doing something called Hypnotized, but it hasn't been released yet. Star Trek Pickyard, so he's still acting. Go, dude. Uh, Marvel's Twirl Girl podcast series. I don't know. My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. DC Superhero Girls. <laughs> Olaf's Frozen Adventure. Justice League Action. World of Warcraft video game. My Little Pony video game. CSI Investigation, Family Guy, Assassin's Creed 2, Touchwood, uh, Breaking Bad, The Unit, uh, Without a Trace, Charmed. I remember him on Charmed. Haha, <laughs> it was so funny. NYPD Blue, The Division, Duck Dodgers, Judging Amy, Stargate, SG-1, Crossing Jordan, the Guardian, Max Steel, Star Trek Voyager, The Practice, uh, The West Wing, The Outer Limits, Star Trek The Game Show, uh, okay, oh that was the movie, Ally McBeal, Saving Private Ryan, Fed Up Extreme Ghostbusters, cartoon series, Touched by an Angel, The Real Adventures of Johnny Quest, Picket Fences, Murder One, Legend, Star Trek The Next Generation is Q, Madlock, Batman the Animated Series, love it, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, Days of Our Lives, yep, is Eugene Bradford, Mission Impossible, this is the only episode of Murder She Wrote. The Thornbirds. Maybe he didn't play the cook in Golden Girls. I could have swore it was him. Nope, apparently he didn't, guys, because that would have been 1985. And he didn't. Okay, maybe that was someone else. I don't know. Alright. Maybe his brother. Alright, um... Cliff Goldman played the police chief. He died in 2002 at the age of 65. He is known for All That Jazz, 1979. Ghost Dog. The Way of the Samurai, 1999. Angel, 1983. And The Boys in the Band, 1970. His last known credit is Kill the Poor. Not cool, dude. 2003. Uh, Law and Order. He'll be in another episode of Murder, She Wrote, in 1992. Okay. Gordon Jump played Frank Tilly. He died in 2003 at the age of 71. He is known for WKRP in Cincinnati, Soap, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, and Get Smart. His last known credit is in 2004, Changing of the Guard short. Mike Hammer, Private Eye, Seinfeld, Married with Children, 
Carolina City, Empty Nest, Baywatch, the new WKRP, Growing Pains, Sister Kate, Who's the Boss, Perry Mason, Murder She Wrote, and the Golden Girls. I knew it. I was right. Woo! This is only episode of Murder She Wrote. I love when I'm right. I love when I recognize people. Night Court, Different Strokes. Oh, it's the Bicycle Man. Oh my god. What a terrible, what a terrible role for him to have. WKRB in Cincinnati. Soap. Um, Lou Grant. Good Times. The Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, Mystery, Alice. Startsky and Hutch. He was in a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Good for him. Wish he could have been in more episodes of Murder, She Wrote. Norman Lloyd played Lloyd. <laughs> he died last year at the age of 106. Wow. You go, dude. Was around since 1914. Wow. He must have saw the world change around him. That must have been incredible. Um, Dead Poet Society, 1989. Saber, 1942. Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And The Age of Evident Evidence, in a sense, 1993. His last known... Oh, this is as a producer. Let me jump to actor. So sorry. He was a producer in a lot of things. His last known thing was Trainwreck, I think, with Amy Schumer in 2015. He got started on Modern Family, The Practice, um, The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle, the movie, and he will appear in two other episodes of Murder, She Wrote. Hopefully is a way better character than this character he played. Sorry, not sorry. And Aubrey Meadows played Mrs. Tilly. She died in 1996 at the age of 73. She's known for the original Honeymooners, That Touch of Mink, 1962, The Jackie Gleason Show, and Albert Hitchcock Presents. Her last known credit is Dave's World in 1995. Don't know what that is. Empty Nest, Sisters, The Simpsons, Uncle Buck TV Show, um, Too Close for Comfort, Life with Lucy. This is the only episode of Murder, she wrote. The Love Boat, um, Startsky and Hutch, Different Strokes, Love, American Style, The Red Skeleton Hour, um, The Jackie Gleason Show, The Honeymooners, The Original Honeymooners. Yep. Awesome. I had no idea because I've only seen a couple episodes of uh, that. Um, Sabrina was played by Andrea Miller, Milton, M Mellon, something like that. Uh, she is still alive. She is known for Teeth, 2007. They paper chase, I'm guessing it's a TV show. Love Potion number 9, 1992, and 30 something. Ooh. Last known credit, The Vern, a one-hit wonder story. I have no idea. 30-something, Paper Chase was a TV show. This is her only guest-starring role on Murder, She Wrote. Oh, apparently they turned Casablanca into a television show. 
she was on that and she was only in 13 credits well that's sad she could have been in more stuff why wasn't she in more stuff maybe they couldn't cast her I don't rightly know um the butler Forbes was played by Audrey Morris he died in 2015 at the age of 89 he is known for Clockwork Orange, 1971, Life Force, 1985, The Wicker Man, 1973, and My Girl 2, 1994. His last known credit is It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, he got started on Deadwood, The Others, My, um, A Mom for Christmas, Tales from the Crypt, and he will be, be in another episode of Mary She Wrote in 1999, The Year I Was Born. Okay. And last but not least, Julia was played by Anne Scratton. Uh, I'm sure I said that wrong. So C or S C H E D E E N. She's still alive. She is known for Alf. Simon and Simon, Emergency, and Marcus Welby, MD. Last known credit, Tiny Nuts. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, oh my god. It was a TV show. I don't know. Judging Amy. Perry Mason, The Case of the Mangled Mobster, Alf. Um, this is her only episode of Murder, She Wrote. Magnum P.I., Simon and Simon, Paper Dolls. It was a TV show, I don't know. ER, um, The Sidcom, Three's Company, Cheers, Little Darlings, TV movie, The Incredible Hulk, Friends, which was a different TV show in 1970-something. Project USO, Family... Um, Emergency, Malchus Well, BMD, The Bionic Woman, McLeod, Ironside, and The Six Million Dollar Man was her first credit. I had no idea I was going to say that when I, <laughs> I looked up Tiny Notes. My God. All right. That is the last of the guest stars. Thank you so much for commenting about the episode, people, on all things murder she wrote. Thank you so much for that. I love your comments and I'm glad I'm not alone in like not liking the episode. Um, I'm going to be doing a season two review before starting season three. So I hope you all will enjoy that. Um, have a good day, night, depending on when you listen to this. Um, I pray for peace every night before my head hits the pillow for the whole world and happy crime solving. And I'll see you in the next one.